welcome to Ed Leader with your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Join Dr. Jackson for conversations and reflections on improving educational leadership from the classroom to the boardroom and beyond. Educational leadership is an ever-evolving opportunity to make a real and lasting difference in the lives of students, parents, and the community. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Ed Leader. I'm your host, Rob Jackson, and I want to thank you for spending time with me today. Governors across our country have been announcing that school buildings will remain closed for the rest of this school year. Sadness and grief have accompanied those announcements as we mourn all of the activities our students will miss. Never have ed leaders been so tested, and never have strong ed leaders been so needed. We are the purveyors of hope and grace. We share our strength and a positive vision for a bright future. Our teachers and educators have been asked to teach in new ways through new formats and they need our support, and that is the focus of today's episode. Let's get to it. Instructional leadership is the core of the work of an ed leader. For superintendents, finding strong C&I, curriculum and instructional leaders, is crucial. Today, I'm excited to chat with two of the strongest instructional leaders I know. Almost 20 years ago, we served together as principals in the same school district. Today, as I move into my seventh year as superintendent, I know that any success I have had is at least partially attributable to having a strong professional learning network of successful ed leaders who are making a difference. I'm excited to introduce to you two very wise and thoughtful ed leaders. Dr. John Jones, the Chief Academic and Accountability Officer in Rock Hill Schools in South Carolina. For 31 years, he has served public education. A 21-year veteran himself, Dr. Brad Breedlove is the Chief Academic Officer in Union County Public Schools, a large district in the Piedmont of North Carolina. Please allow me to introduce you to my friends, mentors, and colleagues, Dr. Brad Breedlove and Dr. John Jones. Hi, Brad. Hello. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your podcast, Dr. Jackson. It's a great honor. Thank you, Brad. Hi, John. Hi, Rob. Hi, Brad. And greetings from Rock Hill Schools in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Hey, we're so excited to have you. And I tell you, I am really excited about this conversation. Recently, had the opportunity to have some conversations with incredible ed leaders like the two of you around how this pandemic has changed the work of educators and public education. One of the conversations we've really not delved in as deeply is around academics and remote learning. And so having the opportunity to talk with quite literally two of the strongest curriculum and instructional leaders that I've had the opportunity to encounter in my career is something that I'm excited to be able to share with others. The two of you serve in very large districts, Brad and Union County. I think you have about 41, 42,000 students in Rock Hill. John, I understand you have about 18,000 students, so really large school systems. So I I know that we're all impacted, but somewhat differently impacted. John, you're in South Carolina, so a different state. So John, let's kind of start with you. Tell us about this journey in terms of from the moment it kind of first rolled out and 
some of the thought processes you've had around remote learning and what you're doing there in Rock Hill? Well, like everyone else, we were expected to do a lot and make a lot happen within a, a very short period of time. We're fortunate in Rock Hill that Rock Hill schools had a one-to-one -one device deployment for grades three through 12, as well as a good work with Canvas on our LMS. Uh, one thing that helped Rock Hill is Rock Hill was accepted into a pilot last year that we applied for, for e-learning days. So before this even became a possibility that we would have students learning at home, we applied to be able to use an e-learning model for in the event that we had school canceled for an emergency or inclement weather. In doing that, we had the luxury of being able to spend time with training teachers and preparing our lessons ahead of time. So that helped us in the rush it took place because our teachers had to have lessons on standby as well. So we had educated our parents, we had worked with our students, we had practice e-learning days. So we were quite fortunate in South Carolina that we were part of that pilot. That kind of helped us moving forward. That being said, the best we had to offer our students with face-to-face -face stopped on March the 13th, and we had to then transfer to being able to meet the needs of our students that who were connected, the ones that were not connected, and being able to support our families that were and are and continue to be in, in crisis in this situation. I think that we have faced many of the hurdles that so many of the other school systems have, that there are common problems of practice and engagement with students that we find. Absolutely. And do you have devices kindergarten through 12th grade in Rock Hill, John? No, we have devices three through 12. Those devices are 24-7 devices, as long as the parents agree to our mobile computing guidelines. K through two, we don't. So we have had to, of course, go with the packet approach. And, and like other districts, how do you send those out? How do you collect the work? And how do you move forward in advancing students? Absolutely. Well, Brad, what about Union County? One of the largest school systems in our state, always been considered a leader in the area of academics, curriculum, and instruction. How has this rolled out for you as this pandemic was announced and school closure became a reality for all of us? Well, as Dr. Jones was kind of uh, articulating there, and he did a great job, we're very much obviously having to do a lot in a very short amount of time. We are very fortunate to be in a district as well that have had eight to 10 years now, a one-to-one -one platform in, in grades six through 12. And of course, in our elementary, we have one-to-one -one devices for three to five, but they stay at the school. All that to say that it's still not perfect. We still have students that don't have a device and we still have definitely have students that don't have access to internet. But we've rolled this out in, in phases and on March 15th our schools closed. Union County Public Schools phase one was, was really about Maslow's hierarchy of needs like many other school systems and making sure that our, our students are taken care of on those lower levels of getting a process in place to feed our students, even helping our, our students with, and families with McKinney-Vento and finding secure locations, safety and health components there. That's really what our focus was initially. At the same time, the academics team and, and other departments working to provide resources to our students and families where they can access academic resources and, and getting all of those in, into one place and make sure that everyone knows where they can get that. After a few weeks of doing that, obviously our, our teams were all working behind the scenes to develop what would be phase three, and that's really the training modules of our, our teacher that go into the one-to-one the -one remote learning sort of platform. 
doesn't have to be necessarily electronic either. You know, in our elementary, we have done multiple packets of information out to our elementary students that they can access the curriculum review through packets of materials. And, and what does that mean on the teacher side of contacting the students? Have they received the packets either via mail or at some of our sites where the meal pickups, I mean, that's all kind of been the process. And then obviously working with our teachers to make sure that they have Canvas pages up and running where students can also uh, log in to access those resources, our school websites, every resource that we could possibly put together where it makes it easy for our students to access those materials. And then now we are currently in phase four, which is new learning of new standard. Of course, all of this is open to all and required of none. Because as you are aware, our, our state put out five critical factors that if we want to get into grading and classification of, of students and all that, you have to meet those five critical factors. So it's really open to all and required none, but we've done a very good job of trying to determine all of our students who is accessing the materials and who is not and working to get everybody up to the same speed and, and at the same level. Thank you. And I tell you, it's heartening to me to be talking to the two of you and to others. You're both charged with, well, by title, you're the chief academic officers of your school districts. And what I hear from you both is this support for children with where they are in terms of ensuring they have something to eat and they're in a safe place. And then we get to the academics. And it really says to me that we have our priorities in order in terms of thinking about the safety and security of our children and meeting those needs, that first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you referenced, Dr. Breedlove. Here in our school system, we also are a one-to-one device school system. We've had devices in our children's hands 24 hours a day from grades 6 through 12 and had devices K-5 that stayed at school. And so part of our process had been rolling those devices out. And so we now have devices out. But in some places with our elementary school students, we've recognized that the parents and students weren't really ready for the device. And so we've kind of backed up and we have some students who are using the paper packets again because that worked best for the student and worked best for the family. And so trying to support our students and families has been our absolute focus. One of the things that I think is incredibly important, of course, is supporting our teachers. We're in this new world that most were not trained for. And the two of you have talked about some training for teachers. Brad, we'll start with you. How are you supporting teachers in terms of all the new things they're being asked to do? That's a great point. And without our teachers, obviously, we go nowhere on the side of academics. And even though Canvas has been our LMS for for quite some time now, it's one thing to have a Canvas page. It's another thing to use that for remote learning. And there's a difference there between putting up an agenda, for example, as opposed to building an asynchronous or a synchronous environment through the use of Canvas. Of course, we have, just like everybody else, you sort of have this level of, of teacher. Some teachers were, you know, at more of a, a basic level, and then other teachers have been using it all along to do many of these things and doing flipped classrooms as an example of a higher level. And so we've put together professional development. Casey Rimmer, who oversees our ed tech in innovation. Her and her staff have done just an amazing job of putting together modules that teachers across the district can access asynchronously. So 
they're trying to take care of their own families and take part in any type of module dealing with Canvas, dealing with the best ways to utilize synchronous or asynchronous modules with their students, allowing how to best articulate a lesson, doing read-alouds, and getting all of those things into one place. We probably built 20 or 30 modules to allow teachers to go in and access asynchronously on how to do these things in this remote learning environment. Dr. Jones, what are you guys doing down there in terms of supporting teachers in their work and supporting students? Well, I think we've come to the realization that this is a real chrysalis experience. And, and we have had the conversation with our teachers and our principals and our team that when this settles at some point, we're going to come back from this changed and different. It is going to have an impact, I think, upon overall how we look at instruction, how we look at what it means to support students. It has, I think, a lasting impact upon that. So a lot of our conversations certainly have focused initially on how we're preparing our teachers. And just similar to Union, we have looked at the professional development piece, all live coaching, co-teaching, coaching that takes place online, providing online modules that so many of the districts, like your two districts and others have done, we've just tried to find our way and try to eliminate the barriers. Our super Superintendent Dr. Cook's big message is about equity and access and looking at how we're supporting our teachers. How is it that we make sure that there's equity within what we're doing and access and really what is an inequitable situation? We know that to completely close that gap out is a certain challenge, but equity and access and working with our teachers trying to do that. We've done that by making sure that conversations continue. We've continued with our monthly teacher listen and learns. We do those virtually. Our grading guidelines document, we had that vetted by principals. We did a lot of, of communication back and forth and trying to include our teachers as, as much as we can. So I think that that inclusive piece, is, as well as looking at, at trying to support the equity and access piece, is really important. I think one aspect that is really showing with us is that our MTSS process is really coming full circle now. That is going to require a lot of attention, a lot of support, a lot of support for our teachers, for our students and families, as we have to rebuild trust, not trust that we did, but trust in the situation of learning where so many parents are having to educate and make decisions on their own and juggle this within crisis. How is it that we are going to use resources? What does that look like? So the MTSS piece has really come, I think, alive for us and really has taken a, a new dimension. We want to put some goals in place and involve that. And what does that look like for our teachers? What does that look like for our students, our parents, and for each other as a leadership team? Well, and that MTSS, and for our listeners, particularly our international listeners who may not know, MTSS is multi-tiered system of supports or support systems where we really look at how does each child need to be supported? And we, we work through a tiered system where all children receive this support, some children receive this additional support, and a smaller number receive this further support. And so as you talk about MTSS, Dr. Jones, and really looking at the individual needs of students and how to support those individual needs, that's tough on a quote unquote normal day in a schoolhouse where we really have some control over context and setting. It's really tough when our children are in so many different settings and so many different contexts. And then you know, as you were talking about that equity and access piece, and I appreciate Dr. Cook's focus on that, 
I was really thinking about that from the teacher perspective, and I'm sure that's what you were really thinking about because we have teachers who are in so many different situations. They may or may not have high quality internet access themselves. They may or may not have their own children who they're trying to support their education. They may or may not have the same level of background or experience in, in the remote learning. So talk about that a little bit, if you would, Dr. Jones, in terms of that MTSS, how you're really beginning to roll that out in this remote environment, because I think that would be absolutely a needed conversation for many of us throughout public education. Well, we join other districts in, in, in the terms of grace over grades. That's a term that's, that's certainly out there. And we first wanted to make sure we've taken care of our seniors with our students and make sure those students graduate. Then we've been looking at what does this mean for credit-bearing courses, non-credit-bearing courses, and how do we help navigate teachers and parents through the completion of the year that changed so quickly. In our grading guidelines, we really tried to start with what are our guiding statements in our work. And I call them the big four, the big four that we constantly go back in when we don't know or we're not sure what are the big four items that we go back and looking at? That first one, of course, being that we make sure that instruction is continuing, that we make sure that that's happening. And how is it that we can promote meaningful feedback? We're trying to spend a lot of time on what does meaningful feedback really look like in this setting? You know, secondly, making sure that what we have with our exceptional students, as well as our ESOL students, that those services continue and that we try to remove the barriers. The third is that we don't use any grading or feedback as a punishment because families have a lack of connectivity or their personal issues or finance issues or lack of transportation, that we make sure our work doesn't become that. And, and finally, the, the fourth item is how do we continue to seek those non-responsive students? Those students, you know, what are we putting in place for the students? We're fortunate right now that for a system, about 4.6% of our students are non-responsive at this time. Overall, a, a fairly strong number, unless my child is in the 4.6. And so we're continuing to work. So I think that coming together with some common understanding has helped us in that. And we've tried to communicate that message in an ongoing method in supporting our teachers and, and trying to understand because teachers certainly still have the pressure of the standards and the content and that job that they have to do and, and how we know when it's important to go backward in order to go forward. Absolutely. And I appreciate that phrase, grace over grades. We heard yesterday in North Carolina, the State Board of Education approved their grading parameters for the state, and they use the term grace and generosity. Brad, as you think about this concept of grace, particularly around grading and working with teachers, what does that look like in Union County Public Schools in terms of supporting teachers and grading philosophy? That whole term of grace, which hasn't really been associated with public education until this moment, it really is right now. Well, I think that hoping that the silver lining out of all of this is, uh, once again, the importance of school systems, not only across North Carolina, but South Carolina and the United States as, as well, in the support that we give beyond just the academic needs of our families. And of course, we do so many things to support our communities in that. And I think that's really coming to light uh, as a result of the situation. But when you specifically talk about grace and 
and over grading and that. That's, I think that's a great way to, to put it, and I appreciate Dr. Jones of, of putting it that way. Because no harm to students is really what our plan is as well. Everybody was sort of taken back, you know, as when it comes to a closing of the brick and mortar buildings. And, you know, at that point, you have to have the understanding, I think, that purposes of when it comes to grading that academics really uh, stop. That's kind of the level that you have to look at. And I know with the actions of the State Board of Education of saying, look, you know, giving at the high school level in grades 9 through 11 options, they can either take a numeric grade or they can take a pass-fail. We would hope that the failure part of that would just be out of, I'm working towards passing. You know, and I think that's the intent there. And, and we always give grace to our students to go back and correct materials because it's really about the learning and anything that we can do as uh, educators. And we see it every day in the brick and mortar. And we want to continue that to allow our teachers to do what's right for students and to support students in learning the standards. And that's not just about receiving a grade. It's mastery of the content and getting those levels of proficiency that we would want. So, yes, for Union County Public Schools and moving forward, even though we are at the very beginning of looking at grading and the classification of students, so we have a lot of people that we need to communicate with and get buy-in and input from, including the front line our teachers, our principals, our board members, which have been, all of them have been just completely awesome through this whole transition. It really is based on communication and putting the students first in all decision making. I think that's critical in whatever happens, we are doing the best things that we can do in putting our students in a situation where they can succeed. And you know, Rob, I was going to bring, just to echo what Brad is stating, for those who are listening, the power of a compassionate school board is so important here, and we have benefited that from Rock Hill because this did require some bending of some local policies. We received clearance and some waivers from the state, but this required some flexibility on our local policy, and we are fortunate in our districts that we have board members that are willing to look at the whole child and are saying, as long as you're working in the best interest of your students and your teachers, we're going to give you this flexibility. So that is so critical. I agree with what Brad said. Thank you for referencing our school board members. I know that we are blessed in our school system by an amazing board. Certainly Union County, Rock Hill, you have credible boards as well. And I do appreciate their leadership and their willingness to do whatever it takes for our children, because that's certainly what we're all about. Well, guys, 20 years ago, roughly or so, when we were young ed leaders and first met, we probably could have never guessed that we would be in a moment where all of our children would no longer be coming to the schoolhouse, they would be at home, and we were trying to educate them wherever they were. Today, that is our reality, and principals and teachers are trying to do their very best in this moment. Dr. Jones, let's start with you as we kind of come to the end of our conversation. What words of encouragement or advice would you have for principals and teachers, central service directors, and others as we do this work of educational leadership in this time of great need in our country? I believe that there's hope. There's hope in this process that the more things change, the more that they can remain the same. And the power of the relationships, you see how critical that is and how you can use tools, whether face-to-face -face or to be able to do that in person, how critical that is. And we're learning this certainly with our high school seniors because we're all planning out graduations. And, you know, we're talking about how do we get that diploma into their hand? 
But you know, that second piece that they're more worried about is how do I say goodbye? How do I say goodbye to my friends? How do I say goodbye to my teachers? And I think when the announcement was made in South Carolina a couple of days ago, the lumps that came to our throats and certainly the power where we saw tears were teachers saying, I'm not going to be able to wave at the bus when it leaves on that last day. Or we're even thinking and moving forward next year, is there going to be a time that we start with allowing the teachers this year to close out? So I think what's encouraging is remembering the power of what that interpersonal role that we have as educators is so important and remembering those values. I think if that guides our conversations, then we can work the policy and we can work the hurdles out, but remembering the whole child and the whole family, why we're called to what we're doing. A lot of that's been affirmed in this process. Absolutely, absolutely. The power of sharing hope every opportunity we have. Dr. Breedlove, what advice or encouragement would you have for educational leaders as we continue forward? Well, I work with a great team of individuals and first and foremost is a superintendent who is very strategic and helps us gain clarity on what our, our purpose is. And he starts meetings with, you know, what are we doing to, to support our, our students and every conversation that we have with principals and that it really boils down to doing what's best for our communities and populations. So, and I think that puts it all in, in perspective as well. And anything to Dr. Jones's point, anything that we are doing, if we do that, the policies, the procedures, all of that will fall in line. And having a plan, you know, I think is very good as well. And using a some sort of format such as phases, kind of like we have done and being able to go step by step and what that plan looks like, even though it's got to be built very quickly, still having that plan and sticking to the plan. And also it needs to be fluid as well and adjusting as needed, because guess what? We're not going to get it all right all, all the time. And when we implement something, when we've gone through the processes that we have, guess what? It is it's sometimes wrong and, and you need to go back and it needs to be a living document and, and you rewrite and, and you correct, just like you normally would. Developing a plan and sticking to that plan and, and working with all that are influenced by that plan as well. Gentlemen, thank you both so much. One of the great blessings in my career is to have absolutely amazing educational leaders, amazing people like the two of you in my PLN, my professional learning network. I certainly have learned from you and with you throughout my career. I appreciate you spending time with me today and sharing with others the great work you're doing in your amazing school districts. My friends, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. I hope that you've enjoyed our time together with Dr. Breedlove and Dr. Jones. Their belief in grace over grades, in the need to share a message of hope, in the power of well-crafted, flexible plans, in meaningful feedback, and in continuing to seek unresponsive students resonated within me, and I hope it did in you as well. Remember, you can find show notes at drrobjackson.com. If you would, please consider sharing the podcast with a colleague as we continue to grow the Ed Leader community across the country and around the world. Thank you for spending time with me today, and thank you for all that you do for every student, every teacher, and every staff member. You are making a difference. If no one else has told you, I want you to know that I believe in you. Good day. Thank you for listening to the Ed Leader Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review with five stars on Apple Podcasts so that we may continue to grow the Ed Leader community.
We hope that you have enjoyed your time with Dr. Jackson. Until next time.